Advanced glycation end products. What is that? And how might we take control of the levels in our body and therefore our health? It's pretty simple, in fact. Tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 74, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. So how is your day going so far? I hope it is going better than expected. So let's start off or end off our day with a little bit of science, shall we? I came across a study published a couple of months ago in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that investigated something called advanced glycation end products. You may or may not have heard of these, but they are molecules that can be present in the food we eat, or they can be generated in our body. And they seem to accelerate aging, inflammation, and in particular, skin aging too. I wanted to share with all of you some of the recent findings on these molecules, what impact they may have on us, and some simple things we can keep in mind in order to try our best to avoid or reduce levels of these molecules in our body. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Earlier this year, it was concluded that individuals who eat more advanced glycation end products from their food tend to have more glycation in their skin too, which is a risk factor for skin aging. But this is also an indication of more glycation in the body overall, which we do not want. Advanced glycation end products is a long name for when sugar combines to a fat, protein, or DNA. Unfortunately, when this process happens, it may cause the cells to malfunction and could induce inflammation, which can worsen some chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease, and arthritis. In particular, glycation products have been implicated in skin aging and arthritis, as collagen seems to be particularly targeted. Advanced glycation end products can be found in some of the foods we eat, such as meats cooked at high temperature with no liquid present, such as grilled meat, broiled meat, barbecued meat, well-toasted bread, some roasted nuts, cheeses, and oils. I'm not saying that we have to avoid these foods altogether, but moderation is always key. In contrast, steamed or boiled foods tend to have lower levels of glycation products. But advanced glycation end products may also develop in our body, unfortunately in the presence of uncontrolled diabetes. With higher blood sugar circulating throughout the body, glycation of proteins, fats, and DNA can be prevalent. And one of the reasons 
why diabetes may place someone at a higher risk for other chronic diseases. So something as simple as changing the way we cook our foods and reducing our sugar intake may be very impactful lifestyle factors. This is important to keep in mind so we can maintain healthy skin, reduce inflammation, and hopefully reduce our risk for chronic disease. Now, let's get into those details. Let's start off by defining what advanced glycation end products are. These essentially are the result of when a sugar has combined with a protein, fat, or DNA. This is seen as a bad thing because when the sugar has combined with these other molecules in our body, this new complex can't work properly and often induces an immune inflammatory response because this new molecule seems foreign to the body. The sugar should not have complexed to these other parts of our body. And as a result, the body's not quite sure what to do with it. And so there's an immune inflammatory response. This process of the sugar combining with the fat, protein, or DNA is typically an irreversible process. So once the sugar has bound to the protein, fat, or DNA, it is stuck there until our body is able to remove the molecule. Think of it like getting gum stuck in our hair. It is really hard to remove gum once it's stuck in there. In the same way, it's really hard to remove the sugar molecule from the protein, fat, or DNA in our body. And often, the way to fix gum stuck in the hair is just to cut the hair off. Well, the way our body fixes this glycation is by eventually breaking it down and secreting it in the urine. But this take can take a very long time and typically only happens when that cell has gone to the end of its life cycle and is essentially being turned over. These glycation products can build up in our bodies as we become older. Back in the year 2000 in the Journal of Biological Chemistry, Scientists illustrated that the collagen in our body that makes up the cartilage of our joints is particularly very susceptible to the buildup of advanced glycation end products, and this is likely due to the very slow turnover rate of collagen in our joints. What this means is fresh collagen is not replacing the older collagen in our joints at a fast rate, so the buildup of these glycation products is high here. The scientists compared this to skin collagen, which they estimate may completely turn over or get replaced every 15 years. It too has a buildup of glycation products, but not as high as the collagen that is present in the cartilage of our joints. So, in essence, our joints and skin, because of the collagen present here, seem to be particularly vulnerable to the effects of glycation. So you may be wondering, how do advanced glycation end products form in our body? Well, accumulation of these molecules is accelerated under conditions of high blood glucose, such as in those living with diabetes. The levels are also quite high in individuals that have levels of oxidative stress, such as in those who smoke cigarettes, those that are exposed to heavy air pollution, or in individuals that are exposed to heavy metals like lead, cadmium, and mercury. Advanced glycation end products tend to be also elevated in individuals with chronic inflammatory conditions like arthritis, psoriasis, and also tend to be elevated in, in individuals with chronic kidney disease. In animal studies, high intakes of sugar, in particular high intakes of fructose, seem to also increase the levels of advanced glycation end products in the blood and organs. 
Now, sugar is present in many things, and often we may not realize how much sugar we, we actually consume on a regular basis. For example, simple carbohydrates that essentially get very quickly converted into glucose in our body include white rice, white bread, white pasta, sauces, marinades, salad dressings, wine, beer, breakfast cereals. These, for example, can all contribute to sugar intake in our diet. So checking the nutrition labels to look at the amount of added sugar in particular, and also the amount of carbohydrate to fiber ratio is very important. Fructose is a type of sugar molecule that has particularly been implicated in increasing the advanced glycation end products in the body. Fructose is present in almost all sweeteners. I know it can be misleading that many people think high fructose corn syrup is particularly high in fructose, but to be honest, in many cases, high fructose corn syrup has about the same amount of fructose as regular sugar or other sweeteners. It was given the name high fructose corn syrup because regular corn syrup is 100% glucose and contains no fructose. But to make the corn syrup sweeter so that the producers could use less of it, food scientists converted some of the glucose to fructose, hence the name high fructose corn syrup. But in actuality, high fructose corn syrup is not much higher in fructose than most sweeteners that we consume. And if you want to hear more about high fructose corn syrup, I dedicated an entire episode to this topic back in episode 13. So in essence, we know that consuming a lot of sugar or having uncontrolled blood sugar levels can increase advanced glycation end products. But besides the intake of sugar, how else might these glycation products increase in our body? Well, about 15 years ago, it was realized that advanced glycation end products don't just form in our body, but they are also present in the foods we eat. For example, in the American Journal of the Dietetic Association in 2004, scientists analyzed the amount of glycation products in food. In general, foods that were high in fat and protein that were cooked at a high temperature with low moisture present had the highest levels of advanced glycation end products. For example, meats that were grilled or barbecued or broiled sometimes contained 12-fold higher advanced glycation end products, whereas cooking methods like roasting with a liquid or steaming or boiling produced far less advanced glycation end products. So it appears that cooking at high temperatures with no liquid present is the method that produces the most glycation in our food. Other foods high in advanced glycation end products include the toasted crust of bread and roasted nuts. Clinical trials have shown that eating foods high in these advanced glycation end products can indeed increase advanced glycation end products circulating in our blood and body. So there is a direct connection between the glycation products in our food and the level in our body. The study that caught my attention this week that inspired me to do this episode was published by Chen and colleagues this year in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. The study included over 2,500 participants. The scientists estimated the participants' daily intake of advanced glycation products by having the participants fill out a detailed food questionnaire on how often they ate different foods. Five years later, the participants underwent a test that analyzed the advanced glycation end products in their skin. Now, the amount of glycation in the skin has been used as a reflection of the long-term accumulation 
of glycation in the body. Because remember, collagen in particular is very susceptible to those glycation products, and there's a lot of collagen in our skin. It turns out that there was a strong association between the amount of advanced glycation end products the participants ate and the amount of glycation products in their skin. So if they ate more advanced glycation products, they had more glycation in their skin. Patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease tended to have higher levels of glycation in their skin regardless of their dietary intake. So unfortunately, individuals with diabetes or chronic kidney disease just in general seem to have higher amounts of glycation in the body. So this was one of the first clinical trials to show that long-term dietary intake of glycation products in the food can impact glycation buildup in the body and skin. As I mentioned earlier, collagen and our skin seems to be particularly impacted by glycation products. As when sugar combines to the collagen in our skin or in our joints, it prevents the collagen from functioning properly. In 2013, Chrisanne and colleagues concluded that aging skin and skin exposed to sunlight regularly seems to have higher levels of glycation products. So advanced glycation end products have been implicated in poorer collagen in the skin, less skin elasticity, and skin aging. So if you've ever heard dermatologists or other influencers talk about reducing sugar intake and how that can impact the skin, this is one of the reasons why. But besides impacting our skin health, how else might glycation end products impact our health? Well, Uri Bari in 2005 reviewed this topic. Now, based on preclinical studies, glycation products seem to potentially impact heart health, blood vessel health, brain health, skin health, and in general, inflammation levels. For example, in the journal Diabetes in 2003, a group of patients with diabetes were asked to consume a drink rich and advanced glycation end products with no extra sugar added to it. The participants later had their blood vessel health measured by pulse wave analysis. 90 minutes after consuming the beverage high in advanced glycation end products, the amount of glycation in their blood increased, and dilation of their blood vessels, a marker of blood vessel health, was significantly impaired. These findings demonstrated that acutely, Advanced glycation end products consumed by a beverage or by food may have a harmful effect on blood vessel health and blood vessel functioning. And this potentially could have very large implications for overall health, but as well as brain health, heart health, kidney health, or all the organs that our blood vessels supply blood and nutrients to. So can we reduce our advanced glycation end product intake in our diet, and can this have a benefit to our health? I think it's possible. In the journal PNAS in 2002, scientists recruited 24 patients living with diabetes. The participants were asked to follow a diet low in advanced glycation end products and crossed over to eat a diet high in advanced glycation end products, and they were tested for markers of inflammation. The two study diets were designed to have similar amount of calories, protein, carbohydrates, and fat, so they only differed by their amount of glycation products. And they differed particularly by five-fold. Now, the, the scientists were able to regulate the amount of advanced glycation end products by regulating the cooking time, the cooking temperature, and the method of cooking. For example, how long and how they cooked chicken and tuna in the diet. When the participants followed the low advanced glycation end product diet, 
the scientists observed a reduction in circulating advanced glycation end products in the blood and urine. So that's good. There was a direct correlation. So if we eat less in our diet, then there's going to be less circulating in our body. But the scientists also noted a reduction in markers of inflammation, such as C-reactive protein, TNF-alpha, and VCAM1. For example, C-reactive protein is a very well-known marker of chronic inflammation. And when the participants ate a low advanced glycation end product diet, their levels of this inflammatory marker reduced by 32% versus the normal baseline circumstance. So that's quite good. In another clinical trial in 2014, 74 women were asked to follow a low advanced glycation end product diet or high glycation product diet for four weeks. The high advanced glycation end product group was instructed to fry, bake, roast, or grill their foods and to consume toasted bread with the crust. The people that were supposed to follow the low advanced glycation end product diet were instructed to boil or steam their food and to consume bread without the crust. Now, after four weeks of eating on the low advanced glycation end product diet, the women saw an improvement in their insulin sensitivity by 8.5% versus baseline, whereas the women on the high advanced glycation end product diet saw a worsening of their insulin sensitivity by 11%. Those are pretty big changes, just from primarily changing the method of cooking. It is trials like this that I think can help us understand how small changes may have big impacts. An improvement in insulin sensitivity, as seen here, is very important in the context of diabetes. Now, we want our cells to be sensitive to insulin so that our blood sugar levels can remain normal. So the fact that following a low advanced glycation end product diet, simply by adjusting the cooking temperature, time, and the way of cooking, resulted in some improvements to insulin sensitivity, and that's quite remarkable. There are other clinical trials in patients with chronic kidney disease as well. Unfortunately, they appear to have elevated levels of glycation products, and it is thought to be due to their limited ability to remove metabolites from the blood. Now, when following a low advanced glycation end product diet, such as changing their method of cooking to more so steaming, or cooking with a liquid present, these patients with chronic kidney disease also exhibited some improvements to their markers of inflammation. Now, I thought that there may be some clinical trials in patients with arthritis following a low advanced glycation end product diet, but I wasn't able to find any good clinical trials. Instead, it appears that scientists are looking to target the receptors in the joints that glycation products act upon. It is known that glycation products build up in the joints and may induce inflammation here and therefore worsen arthritis. But if someone does battle with arthritis, perhaps this is something they can keep in mind or try. For example, instead of grilling, barbecuing, or broiling foods very frequently, they could try replacing their cooking method with steaming or roasting in a liquid at a low temperature. They could try reducing their intake of roasted nuts and toasted bread too. Sometimes these small changes may add up and be able to make a positive impact. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army. In brief summary, advanced glycation end products in our body appear to have a negative impact on our blood vessel health, levels of inflammation, 
risk for diabetes, and can negatively impact our skin health and collagen. Advanced glycation end products may increase if we consume high amounts of sugar, if we eat a lot of meat products cooked at high temperature with no liquid. If we try our best to reduce consuming these foods or changing our cooking methods to steaming, boiling, or roasting at low temperature with liquid, it appears that there may be some benefits to insulin sensitivity, markers of inflammation, and thereby may potentially reduce the risk and severity of inflammatory chronic disease. It is remarkable how something as simple as the method and temperature of cooking can have such an impact on our health potentially. Sometimes it is these little lifestyle hacks that can make a big difference on our health in the long term. So I hope you all have a healthy and wonderful week, and I look forward to meeting you back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.